Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. everybody welcome back for another edition of bannering the blue shirts uh sorry we missed last week um scheduling conflicts technical difficult difficulties other assorted nonsense um we're back this week we'll have a short little show because not much has really gone on um but as always i'm your host tom Merch jr and i'm joined by my co-host mike murphy and mike how are you doing today Nick Ebert has left the Rangers organization, Tom, and I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but um, I'm okay. I'm keeping busy. I have a a big uh, women's hockey stats thing that I've spent the majority of the pandemic working on that's going up. uh, When this podcast goes up, will be part one going up on hockey graphs for those who are interested. Um, It's on a website. Oh, yeah. I also have a website now uh, at Her Oh, Hockey. yeah. It's a big Her, thing. It is a big thing. I forgot we didn't get to talk about it. Um, yeah, HerHockeyCounts.com. I know it might only be a fraction of you who are interested in women's hockey who listen to the show, but if you have ever wanted to look at some of the, the data I have manually mined and uh, shaved years and years off my life to put together... Uh, it, all, it all lives in one place now instead of on a bunch of public Google Sheets uh, called HerHockeyCounts.com. And Tom gave me a great note to adjust the logo, but I couldn't figure out how to use the hockey tape on the blade of the stick in my logo. It always looked... I don't know. At one time, I was good at graphic design, but I just stopped doing it, and now those days are gone. So... I think like anything else, it's sort of muscle memory. It's something you can get back into. But I'm at some point, I'm going to have to get you like a hard hat with a light and a little pickaxe because you are a a data miner after all. Yeah, my next thing I'm going to try to do is just learn how to build scrapers and learn Python. And it's probably going to fail because I'm very good at words and code and numbers, not so much. But uh, we'll try. Might as well do something to keep busy. I mean, um, I would say better you than me. I mean, I, I did one year go to summer <laughs> school for failing math. Um, and that, I mean, it was an interesting summer. Like, I always had this idea in my head of what summer school was and what summer school would be. And it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I mean, it was a pain in the ass having to wake up, um, you know, Monday through Friday and you know i only lived um up the street from my school so i i'd walk to school but it was still like summer like i missed out on a a family vacation which kind of sucked but you know i I never one and done 
uh, in terms of summer school. Um, Liberal arts was where I I had my niche. Um, I love biology, as I'm sure fans of the podcast might know just from all the bullshit animal trivia I have in my head. But um, math, math was the thing I have had to teach myself after college and, and school. The finding ways to use math that don't depress me. Um, I wish I was better at math. I'm not. I have a good sense of what I like to call sports math, which is really just basic math and, you know, rates and percentages and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Like the only math, it's sort of like, okay, sports statistics or, you know, whether it's like looking at, um, you know, the few stocks that I have, that sort of thing. Like I can wrap my mind around it because I guess it has some actual real value to me but if you're asking me you know for i don't know to do something with uh a coefficient or an angle or i I, there's things in my brain that they they've they've gone they've left the station and and they're never coming back Um, (laughs) yeah there's only so much room in my head like it's like a it's like a shelf in a garage with a bunch of tools and crap on it and i don't I don't have nearly as much space as I'd like for math, but uh, I try to make more. That's I'm trying to. It's funny doing like the stuff I've been doing with women's hockey stuff, and also just with NHL uh, analytics. You learn about stuff you care about, right? So, like, I want to know more. I want to have a better understanding of the game beyond what I watch and what I know from you know playing it until I was like 13. And that's why I make room for stuff like, oh, yeah, I want to understand analytics. I, I want to understand, like, something I've been working on over the past couple of years is just understanding strategy and basic strategy for, you know, like, what, what do set plays look like? And hockey is so complex because it's so free-flowing, right? It's not like football where it's, you know, yeah, we're going to have... The running back go between the right guard and the right tackle and you know and maybe it's going to be play action and we're going to have the receivers take these routes and like it's like no not it's a little different hockey it's you you have like this free-flowing general strategy but so much of hockey is improvisation and so it's like yeah but there is strategy like there's basic stuff like you know i wanted to understand specifically zone entry stuff and that's when i got into like oh how much like how bad is it generally speaking to dump and chase compared to carrying it in i think i think it's a factor of three or four in terms of you know (laughs) how it translates to offense and puck position generally speaking always carry it in whenever you can uh is, is the rule but like to understand why that's the case through not only data but through hockey strategy it's been really fun actually if anyone wants to get into that i really recommend uh ryan stimson's book i think it's called tape to space um i read it over last summer it's really good and that's a book that i i have on my list of like i look every day i wake up and my bookshelf is at the foot of my bed so i just look up and i see all these books and it's like yeah i I should really get around to reading those at some point. Um, 
but yeah, that that's that's one definitely that I, I want to start. Uh, it's like a dense of, read because oh, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's a dense read oh, no, because it's, okay. it's so much of it is strategy and how he applied it um, as a coach for you know youth teams and stuff. And like you look at all these diagrams and you read about all this theory and all this stuff, and you're just like, woo! Like it's not like reading a novel or a story. You know what I mean? It's reading. Mm-hmm. It's reading like a philosophy of hockey tactics uh, that are based in analytics and stuff, and it's, it's super fascinating. But I, the way I read it, is I just chipped away at it over a course of many weeks, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where by the time I finished it, I didn't really remember the stuff that was in the early stages of the book. It just kind of came, just provided more scaffolding in my head for the way. You know that the puck moves up the ice, and effective ways to do that, and also effective ways to play defense. But you were saying, Tom, things have happened uh, before I cut you off. Things have happened in the world of the New York Rangers. Yeah, and I feel like the last thing that you said actually ties in perfectly when it comes to learning how to play defense, and um, it concerns Lindy Ruff, uh, Rangers coach, runs the defense. He's going to be a candidate for the New Jersey Devils uh, open head coaching position. And this news just sort of comes out of nowhere uh, on yesterday, on Tuesday, um, where it's reported by Elliot Friedman that the Devils had had a couple of head coaching candidates, one being uh, Elaine Nazardine, who's the current coach, uh, Gerard Gallant, Peter LaViolette, John Stevens and a mystery candidate and that mystery candidate is Lindy Ruff and um, I'm a little surprised that he would be the guy just because of what we know about the Devils and their front office and how they've gone all in on analytics Um, and like as Adam put up in his story you look at the Rangers progressively under rough uh, even strength shot attempts per against yeah, per 60 metrics yeah 29th overall even strength expected goals 31st penalty kill expected goals against 31st they're they're dead last in all but one category um, personally I, I don't think he's gonna get the job I, I think it's just one of those things of hey are you kind of interested you know uh, maybe it's a courtesy thing. It helps him out. Maybe he's he's trying to get another head coaching job in the league. I mean, he is 60. He could retire if he wanted to. But maybe it's just one of those things of, oh, wow, a team was interested in hiring hiring Lindy Ruff. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, it's something. Like, the, the potential yeah. for something there... The fact that his name was a part of the conversation in and of itself was like, whoa, okay... I know, you know, among many Rangers fans and, you know, people who are outside of the major, uh, you know, media networks in terms of, you know, people on the beat and stuff. In other words, people who will be a little more quick to speak their mind are like, oh, please, this would be great. Um, Either way, you know, like, I don't think all of the flaws and faults of the Rangers defense are rest on Lindy Ruff's shoulders. I think he's a very convenient scapegoat um but i do think that you know i would like to see a different person at the helm there and 
I think we would learn a lot about really David Quinn um, from what would happen if there's a different, uh, you know, different approach with the blue line and the person who's, you know, reportedly heading it up. Um, it's like you said, it's really surprising given that Lindy Ruff is already kind of right. Like he's he's had a su- really really long tenure as a coach in this league, and was for a long time like I always remember him from uh, from Buffalo um, you know in the Dominic Hasek years but he also was in Dallas before that he was a head coach for a very very long time before landing behind the Rangers bench and the fact that he was a holdover was a little weird uh, you know with the you know the coaching regime change and now mm-hmm. the fact that his name is floated out there like you said he's 60 this is not like a young guy um, he probably could be a guy who could retire if he wants to, but um, I don't know. This might be it. Honestly, at first it surprised me, but then the other thing was like, is it really surprising that it's we hear the same old names for these coaching positions? Like, this is part of the problem with coaching in the NHL is that there is just it's just recycled the same old faces, the same old ideas. And we very rarely get new blood. And when we do, you know, we have coaches like David Quinn who have, you know, they feel new. But then we see like, oh, he's not entirely new. He has his own network of guys he's familiar with. You know, he has his own, you know, kind of old school mentality. And, you know, it's like the same kind of thing. It's the <laughs> it's it's the same thing just with, you know, a couple decades younger. But uh you know, and that's not to say that I'm just dismissing David Quinn and his potential as a head coach, but I, I still think we don't know a lot about him based on what we've seen, other than, you know, his kind of unique approach to handing out ice time and, you know, how quickly, uh, you know, he'll he'll take ice time away from a guy for making a mistake. I remember when I, for banter recently, I, I wrote up something about how we shouldn't sleep on Julien Gauthier. Because he's just like a really exciting player to me um, in, in this Ranger system. And I remember when I was reading about him and doing the research that for a couple games, Quinn just was really upset at Ryan Strom for making a couple mistakes. And he just chopped his ice time, you know, down. Because I was looking at Gautier had like 8.38 time on ice per game. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to make an impression when you play... Um, less than nine minutes a night, and uh, and you know when your line mates are line mates are guys like Brendan Lemieux and Greg McKegg and Brett Howden. But um, it's super interesting that Ruff is a part of that discussion. I think, uh, you know, I personally I think it would be good for Lindy Ruff personally if he if he moved on and had a head coaching position. Um, I also think it would be good for the Rangers coaching staff and for the team in general. So we'll see. But like you, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's like not super personal with Lindy Ruff. It's just, you look at the, um, the Rangers and, and, and their history, right? So if you want to pull it back, you had, just so I get the order correctly, you had Ulf Samuelson, 
who I think was pretty regarded as as a coach on defense. Um, he obviously left because he was he was able to get I think it was a head coaching job in the AHL, um, and then he eventually made his way to um, an NHL bench as an assistant. Um, and then after him, it was Jeff Bukaboom, who lasted one year, and, and he was sort of scapegoated. Um, and then it's just been like Lindy Ruff, who the metrics have not been good. Yes, obviously, he's not the only one. Um, you obviously have, um, you know, David Oliver, Greg Brown, who who are, are, are playing a role in, in some shape or form. Yeah. But I would think as this team is developing and it's becoming more um, more modern, you kind of want to have a more modern coach. And I think we have enough to prove that rough for whatever reason is not a great fit for this roster. And I I don't know if you want to look at it as players who have regressed under rough or players who have thrived once they left. Um, Whether it's um, you look at Shattenkirk, obviously he had his injuries here, but you know, Brady Shea uh, regressed here. Um, You know, it's just there's enough examples of just stylistically that he's not a good fit. So I know we're all getting our hopes up, but even if he he doesn't get a um the head coaching job, I still think that there's a room to uh, to do something differently. It seems like an important thing for the Rangers to figure out is. I mean, one year of Jacob Trouba at $8 million a year, and he wasn't quite the player they thought he would be. Um, they have so much potential. And, like, and you look at what Adam Fox has done and what uh, Tony D'Angelo has been able to do, and, like, there's so much exciting potential coming up. And it would be, it would be a real shame if, if there wasn't a better system in place to develop these uh, defenders and to get the most out of them. And... I think, you know, I understand that, you know, the analytics available to the Rangers and NHL teams are not what we have that are publicly available, which is like the the coaching metrics that Adam use and all of us use all the time, you know, with sites like Evolving Hockey and Natural Stat Trick. Um, but, you know, the general trends I don't think are that dramatically different, which I don't think is said enough that, you know, it, it would be highly unusual, Tom, for... The Rangers, all their quantifiable, you know, ratings in defense to be much better than 30th or 31st in every conceivable category. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that's not just like, oh, the public data is really inaccurate. No. Um, if you watch the Rangers um, and you look at those numbers, I think it tells a pretty clear story that the defense is just, uh, it needs work. And... You know, there's also something to be said, hey, maybe Lindy Ruff is better suited for a head coaching role as opposed to a more micromanagement role of, you know, the defense. And, you know, obviously it's been a bit of bit of a mess in terms of the personnel uh, on the defense over the past couple of years and how they fit in. But, hey, um, we'll see what happens. Like, you know, I've already gone over, don't think it'll happen in terms of, Lindy Ruff uh, getting that opportunity in New Jersey, but maybe this is the first kind of bit of smoke that shows that, 
he might move on if an opportunity presents itself. If there's a bigger role out there than an assistant coach, because you know already, you know, I think technically he's kind of sharing the, the the duties for the defense with Greg Brown. Uh, but I know, you know, like the penalty kill is supposedly Lindy Ruffs, and yeah. So we'll see. Before we um, we go any further, we cannot take a nice little ad break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Just like that, we are back from the break. The other bit of news, which I don't know if we really call it news. I mean, it's something that happened, but... A um, development? Yeah. Yeah. It more of a... What's the way to put it? A, a An update on, on something we kind of expected with, with a caveat. So, um, the Rangers obviously extended the olive branch to Leah Sanderson. They said that... Um, obviously with the 2014 playoffs situation, teams are going to have expanded rosters, uh, much larger taxi squad, um, and there's going to be a training camp. So basically Leas decided it would be best, uh, to, for him to stay in Sweden. And basically it's looking like it's going to result in a trade. Although John Davidson, he did talk to the New York post and said, we had discussions with Elias about coming into camp. He felt it was better for him to stay. We respect that decision. We had a number of good conversation. He told me he wants to be a New York Ranger. We'll continue to hold his rights and down the road have discussions about where it's best for him to play. Um, I'll, I'll give my two cents and, and you can sort of say if, if I'm on, on the right path or not. I, sure. The way I, I look at it is the way that and obviously all of this is assuming that COVID does not interrupt the season, delay the next potential season. But if we're under the assumption that they're going to resume play, they're going to have the season, the Stanley Cup, the draft, free agency, and then start the next season, um, I, I don't see where a reunion with the Rangers makes sense because... With the other leagues on pause, it's not like Leas is going to have much of an opportunity to show what he can do to the point of which the Rangers can decide we want to keep him or not. So this to me, and I don't blame him because I don't think he would have played even if he did come over. So if I'm Anderson, if I'm a home 
and I'm in the middle of a, a you know global pandemic, I'm not going to come to the United States just to skate a little bit and then ultimately not play and then end up going home. That said, I would I would say obviously basically what we all thought is this is going to end up resulting in a trade at some point and that the Rangers were doing everything in their power to make it look like, you know, they're mending the relationship. This is clearly a situation that it's um they're they're trying to maintain positivity with someone they want to consider an asset because he may not play for them ever again, but they don't want it where it's like, okay, only, only thing they can get out of it is a seventh round pick. So they tried and it, it didn't work, which I'm not surprised that it didn't. I feel like I'm probably in the minority here, but I, I took away a optimism from, from this news because of the, the quotes we got from JD from the New York post and that like, Leah Sanderson told JD he wants to be New York Ranger. Just to hear that alone, um, you know, even if it's indirect uh, from Leah himself, but like that to me is like, yeah. I mean, JD has done heavy work here to build a bridge of some kind to this kid. And, um, you know, like you, I agree that if he came over here, it probably wouldn't be in his best interest. Like in the best case scenario, he would be. I think in the position he was at the beginning of the season where he's playing, you know, like 10 minutes at best a night as a fourth line center and not really getting an opportunity to, you know, do much for him or for the organization, frankly. Um, and if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't, I would not be coming over either. Um, especially, you know, with all this other stuff going on, it's like, yeah, um, I'll take the pass here. I don't see a lot of reasons why I should come over given what's going on in the world and, you know, how, you know, how small the, the window is for him to squeeze into this roster and to make an impact if and when things resume, because uh, I may be optimistic about this, this little bit of news, Tom, but generally speaking, I am utterly pessimistic about the NHL returning, uh, just based on, you know, since the last time we talked, you know, how many COVID cases have there been um, with players and we're still, teams are still moving forward and, oh boy, uh, I remember, you know, Steven Stamkos just tweeting, um, you know, the, you know, thinking emoji to the NHL moving forward uh, with its plans, with how things have hit how shit has hit the fan in Florida with, with COVID-19 and just, I don't know. It's a whole lot. But to get back to Elias, um, I think JD and the Rangers are doing their due diligence here. I think they're trying to do everything they can to kind of salvage goofing up in a bad way. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, um, like, I understand what you're saying. It's saying that he says, I want to be a ranger, which is good, but ultimately it's going to be of, okay, you're saying it, show it at some point. And again, this is, you know, not, not to take anything away from Leas. I understand a hundred percent of why he's doing what he's doing. It's well within his right. Um, 
but I guess we'll see. And whenever there is a um, a bit of um, more news, we certainly will will update you. Um, what about my news, Nick Ebert, Tom? I honestly had forgotten about Nick Ebert. <laughs> And no one blames you. Um, I was only paying attention to Nick Ebert, frankly, because I was disproportionately grumpy with the outcome of Vladislav Nemestikov and what the Rangers were able to turn him into. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as as a big part of that, obviously, uh, Ryan McDonough and JT Miller trade. And, oh, oh God, um, how mm-hmm. that one has aged. But... Um, Nick Ebert, for those who don't remember, was the player that came back in the Nemestikov trade, uh, as well as a fourth-round pick in 2021. He has he was a he was a UFA, so it's the Rangers didn't lose out on something other than uh, you know a body in Hartford. But he's gone back to the SHL where he was before uh, he returned to North America last season uh, with Orobro and. Uh, you know, of course, Ottawa then flipped um, Nemestikov for a fourth, another fourth round pick. So um, it's only interesting to me in so much as that he was actually uh, relatively productive on a bad Wolfpack team after all the talent got taken away. So, but the good news is the Rangers have so much talent in terms of young D that it's not going to make a big deal. It just makes me. A sad panda uh, that the Rangers took on a guy that they were probably aware wasn't going to be here. Kind of like, remember Andres Borgman, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Is that similar? Just like, yeah, we'll take a body back. We'll we'll do it. Well, like I'm forgetting what trade it was in, but like it was like getting like Carl Klingberg, like one of those guys that never actually did anything. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of little examples of that where I'd actually be fascinated to look into the history of that where teams essentially just move bodies to move the contract and to, and to move bodies. And, like, both teams are have the understanding, I'm assuming, that this guy is done. He's mm-hmm. going to go to Sweden or to Russia or what have you. And in a case like this, you know, what it means for a guy like Nick Ebert who just jumps onto a sinking ship in Hartford and the whole time he probably has his eyes set on Sweden where he actually signed a two-year deal so it's like um, nope fuck yeah, this I'm leaving yeah. <laughs> just can't wait to pull the chute and get and get off the plane and be like I am out um. get me out of here <laughs> yeah so because it happens a lot um, and you know with all the trades the Rangers have made uh, in the Gordon era like things like this pop up where it just feels like what well then why the hell was he a part of the trade the answer is just it's contracts and bodies and you know you you do what you can to to facilitate a trade in the case of Vlad Domestikov the Rangers sold really really low um and they sold on a guy who I think he only played two games with them this season and then uh they decided hey we don't we Vlad wants to be somewhere else and all of that and then they struggled with center depth for the rest of the season you know that old that old story um yeah i only wrote a story about it for banter and brought it up on the podcast because it just it's just a little 
it just sticks in my craw a little bit, Tom, that that was what the Rangers were able to get out of Vlad Nemestikov. And now, you know, in the trade tree, this is a branch that has snapped off. Yeah. At some point, and I obviously will remain positive um, within reason, but it's... uh. You you want you eventually look at some point of all of these moves the Rangers made, and I think unless they end up winning a Stanley Cup out of this iteration of the rebuild, it, it's you'll have like scrutiny. It'll be like, well, was now the time that they should have traded Ryan McDonough? Should they have attached? Uh, JT Miller with it. JT Miller. Yeah, the JT Miller aspect of that trade has aged really, really poorly. Um, Especially considering what the Rangers got back with Libor Hayek and Brett Howden both kind of falling short of what we thought they would be. Well, yeah. It's just... just, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Like, even when I look at someone like Hayek... um, I mean, I know it, it's getting really early out um, to sort of start looking at, like, potential Seattle expansion. Um, and, like, I would, uh, he's he's someone, because, like, you're thinking of all the Rangers defense you have under contract and things of that nature. And, you know, just past lists of who stays, who goes, and obviously a lot can change. But he's a prospect, but even if he was exposed, like, I, I still doubt, like, you know, Seattle would, would even want to take him. He, he's just fallen off so much. Um, and, and then you look at, like, the Nash trade, and we got Ryan Lindgren, and at the time people were sort of lukewarm on him. And, you know, he, he's been something, which is more than you can say um, over, like, Lieber Hayek. And, and my whole thing was, and and obviously it's looking like Brett Houndin is not going to be, be much of anything, um, the Rangers always were were most likely going to have to trade Miller for financial reasons but it it, it was diluting a potential return by lumping everything together it, it's akin to okay I'm just going to take all of my old used video games and bring them to GameStop instead of trying to sell them individually on eBay. It's just like, oh, well, you got a lot here. This is good. This is crap. This is good. We'll give you $2.30. Okay. fleeced by GameStop as a kid over and over again. Yeah. Just trading old games so I can get the new NHL year after year. Store credit was the way to go. I ended up finding out. Like, the cats of bitches. No reason to take cash. Never. It's rat bastards. I don't really well, think there's. We'll anything. never have them as a as a sponsor now. Good job, yeah. Mike. <laughs> no, it's okay. You hear me, GameStop? You rat bastards! You and your stupid warranties that only last a year. If you scratch your disc, which in hindsight doesn't make much sense because it's not like. You're t- taking discs out of your console that often once you install them. I don't know. Did you notice that uh, Steam, like FIFA and Madden, are coming to Steam and NHL isn't? It makes Mike sad. Wait, w- would you repeat that? So I think FIFA and Madden 
are the franchises are both right. coming to Steam. Uh, are you familiar with Steam, Tom? Oh yes, yeah, Steam Gaming. The yes, but NHL is not. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it's weird because I feel like that's what people have been asking for for years. That you have NHL on on a PC because then the modding community can just go to work and make everything great. Yeah, just um, fix all the bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I would love, because I haven't had a console. Um, that's not true. I have a Switch, but like before the Switch, my last console, I think, was like an X- Xbox 360. So mm-hmm. it's been a while, but oh my god. I just want to play hockey on my computer, please. That would be great. Oh, please. Please, God. Anyway, um, speaking of which, there's a free game that I was playing on Steam where, I forget the name of it, but it's hockey. It's a little bit like it reminds me of a Rocket League, but you just move your mouse around to control your little hockey player. And I'm absolutely terrible at it. Um, I played one game. And my teammates were chirping me and yelling at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. <laughs> this is nice and relaxing to have people just shit all over you and be like, hi, IQ, play, good job. It's like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm a level zero. You're level listen, 95. Clearly your life, has been, <laughs> your life has been built around mastering this free-to-play game. And I'm just trying to kill a couple hours in my mundane existence. Anyway... Um, was there any other news? I mean, right now, we're five minutes away uh, behind the scenes look here from getting an idea of who the Hall of Fame class is going to be. So, Though, why don't we do... So, we'll end the show this way. We'll predict who we think is going to get in, and then we can check uh, next week. And people can make fun of us, sure. So, who do you think is going to get in? Who do I think or who do I want? <laughs> Well, you, you can do both. Um, I mean... Um, I think... I don't know. I, I like... McGillamy should be in. Oh, 100%. He has to be in at some point. Iggy has to go in. I really want... Here's my thing. There are a lot of women who should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And there's this bullshit rule that there's a cap of two. They That's made stupid. that rule. And here's the thing. We've only had two women going in one year, one goddamn time. I would like us to catch up a little bit. And it's not like... By playing catch-up, you're not diluting the value of going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Because you have catching up to do in the world of women's hockey. And you can bring in builders like Hazel McCallion and, you know, even someone like... Someone who's still active. Someone like Digit Murphy... You know, like, you can... Manon Rayom would be a great candidate for a builder. Like, mm-hmm. think of the impact she had. And, like, we can play catch-up a little bit. And it won't even feel like catch-up because you can only have two in at a time. Um, but in terms of NHLers, like, it's got to be McGillney. It's got to be Eggy. I really like... Like, I really like Alfie and I really like Hosa. Um, I don't know. I think Theo Fleury is long overdue. Theo Fleury is long overdue. But so is McGillney. Um, 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think McGillney should definitely be in, and I th- I think um, because Nedimansky got in last year, and they basically said a big part of Nedimansky's um, you know candidacy was how he was was a player who defected, and it, it was um, you know international acclaim and, and, and things for the sport of hockey. You have that for. Um, McGillney, and then plus a very good, you know, track record. I think with Theo Fleury, it's still like a personality thing, where you had so many people on the committee. They they looked at his struggles later in, in life, um, but they didn't have the context at the time of you know this. This is someone who was Struggling was abused, with addiction and yeah. mental health, and was abused and. Like it, it was undeniably a great player, and you know, Stanley Cup champion. I think in his first year, and more importantly, what he, you know, achieved throughout his career. I think he's a guy who very much deserves to be in there. Um, yeah, because like, do you have a Marty Sanlui if you don't have a Theo Fleury? No, you don't. Or at least I think we would eventually, but we it wouldn't be Marty Sanlui. I think it would take people a little longer, even still mm-hmm. to. Be like, oh yeah, short guys can play. Um, another guy I'd have is Sergey Gonchar. I just think w- another really good defenseman who, um, obviously, it, it's hard because of when he played. There were others who were getting the the spotlight. Um, yeah, he but, had the problem that Zubov had, where mm-hmm. like his international achievements were really great, uh, but like he was never the big defenseman in the NHL. Like, when I was writing about Zubov last time around, he was always like, it's really hard to stand out as a defenseman when you play exactly during the same time as Nick Lidstrom. <laughs> like, it's just so fucking brutal, right? It's like, oh yeah, that guy also was pretty good, but he wasn't Nick Lidstrom. But like, he was really special. But like, to me, I don't know, I really think like, I, I think in terms of women's players, I'd love to see Karen By Dietz and Kim Sampierre. Um, and then I really think like Iggy and McGillney are the two guys I think are the most deserving to go in right away. Like, I don't think you break any hearts by making Hosa or Alfie wait a little bit um, and maybe do the right thing, get Theo in and mm-hmm. move on from there. But yeah, I know there's some talk about, uh, you know, Julie Chu, and I think, you know, she's a good candidate, but also it would be great if we just had, especially in, in terms of uh, women's players, we, it's dominated. There's yet to be a European player um, on, in terms of women's hockey who's gotten in. It's, it's long overdue. Mm-hmm. So someone like Maria Ruth, why the hell not? She's pretty great. A lot of players who... You want to think about players who influenced the game. The first women's world championship was in 1990. And, like, the women who were the best in the world for the first couple of women's world championships, like, played a, like an incredibly direct role, an undeniably direct role in growing the game and legitimizing it and making people who are, like, women playing hockey open their eyes a little bit more. Um, so that would be nice, Tom. I would like those things. You know, Botterill's another great player who deserves a look in there. But yeah, we'll see. We shall see. Um, as always, uh, thank you for listening and joining us. A special shout out and thanks to our, our lovely patrons. A six foot gap. 
Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Shikagov, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarner Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Jazen, David L. Singer, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lippman, Igor Zavlovsky, James Dangles, Jamie Bussell, Jeff Fowen, Jermaine Francis, John Pretzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Alsante, Michael Kanek, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nick Antropov, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Lanholt, Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel-Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg Bjalbeck, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The, Eric Carlson, The Ninja's Ninja, The Tin Man, Troy from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Um, thank you to our, our, our patrons. Uh, I sent a message from our Patreon. Um, basically, the Patreon is going to be changing some things up regarding um, sales tax and how contributions are taxed and, and whatnot. Um, if you are someone who is affected by this, you should have received a message from Patreon directly. Um, but in the meantime, going to be looking um, at ways that we can sort of change up the tiers and how things are, are described so that we're um, you know, saving those who are affected as much money as possible. Um, but um, stay tuned for that. Uh, next week... Um, we should have a, a fun show. We had. I'm not going to give anything away, but one of our our patrons sent in like a a fun little thing involving the Rangers and movies. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and send in questions or topics you'd like for us to talk about. We can talk about a lot of things, Tom. Oh yeah, totally. If uh, anyone has suggestions, feel free to uh, to let us know. Did you watch Power Rangers growing up? I did not. Neither did I. That's one thing we couldn't talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That's just... For whatever reason, that's one that slipped through the cracks for me. I think Joe watched Power Rangers. But who cares about Joe? Um, Yeah. Yeah, Joe is a well. Good show. Everyone take care of yourselves. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, Be safe. You know, social distancing, all that important stuff. And... You know, maybe we get some sports back. Looks like we're getting some sports back. Who the hell knows? Until then, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Bye.